Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. So welcome to Making It Happen. Uh, my name is Tom Dalton. I'll be your host. We are on episode number 16 of the podcast. And our next guest is pretty amazing woman. Uh, she's six times All-Ireland winner. I had to go through this with her before, so I just made sure I got my numbers correct and I wasn't going to be put in my spot by a Cork woman. Um, she's so six times All-Ireland winner for Cork GAA. Orla Farmer is a ladies footballer, a PhD candidate, which she's currently finishing off, a UCC lecturer in sport education, and she's empowering others through the medium of sport. Now, if you don't know this lady, I'm sure you might have heard about some of the great things she's doing for probably every in sport, but she's highlighting probably ladies in sport and what sport can do for them. So Orla, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and making it happen. I'm keeping good now. <laughs> right. How's the how's um the cabin fever with the COVID nineteen at the moment? Yeah, it's pretty tough now, but no, look, I'm getting there and I think the main thing really is just to keep as positive as possible and keep fit and focused and I suppose we're all in the same boat. So we just have to, you know, look at it at the bright side and see what can we, we do for ourselves and get get the best out of ourselves while we have the time now so that's tough though all the same but look we'll get there <laughs> absolutely and Orla when I look at your social media at the moment you're doing a lot of outdoor probably keep vi- keep fit keep busy get exercising get a ball get some mobility going where if you just want to start on the sport aspect um was GAA your first sport growing up no actually interestingly enough it was athletics so I actually was a member of Middleton Athletic Club when I was younger and I ran um, competitively in, in athletics. So cross country would have been my, my main love. And then it was about fifth class in school. I was my fifth class teacher actually who encouraged me to join football. So athletics and football kind of intertwining those two growing up. I played a bit of camogie as well. <laughs> uh, but my, my real love is football. Real, real love is football, yeah. And Orla, was it a, did you have to cut one of those sports or could you manage them all? Um, well, I kept the athletics up for a good bit um, I, until I got to college. I, I started camogie when I was, it was a bit late, like when I started camogie and Middleton didn't have a camogie club at the time. So I actually played with a club down the road, Father O'Neill's, and I only played for about five or six years. It was just my love was in football and running. So I just stuck with the football and running. And I managed, yeah, I managed to run competitively. I uh, actually represented Ireland and all um, in cross country at one stage. And I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved running in the muck and the hills and the rain and just the thrill of, of running a race. Um, loved it, absolutely loved it. But I suppose then I kind of had to come to our crossroads. Uh, when I was kind of about 18, 19, was I going to run competitively or was I going to, you know, play with Cork um, at the time? I was in fifth year in school, so I got a I got a phone call to come for trials for the Cork Senior Ladies Football Team, and actually in and around the same time I got offered a scholarship to America for athletics as well. As well, there was talks about it. I didn't actually go ahead with it in the end, so I kind of had to make a choice. 
at that stage, okay, am I going to stick with the football or the athletics? And I, I decided to stick with the football, evidently enough. And it was the best decision ever, to be quite honest. Now, I do still enjoy running, but um, I suppose I'm just grateful for all the success and you know, the memories that I've made with the Cart Ladies. I'm still going, you know, obviously right now there's, there's a bit of a, a break to it, but no, I am. I'm, I am enjoying it and I think it was the best call. Um, but in saying that, I do think that I will go back to cross country when I retire from football because the grow is still there. You know, the, the You're a long way from retirement anyway. <laughs> and Orla, just to, to go back, did you grow up in, a, was your like family a sporting environment or was it just the area or school? What led you to sport, I suppose? Yeah, I suppose my parents would have always been, you know, it was GA fanatics, really. My dad would have played a bit of football and hurling. Um, my mum would, would have been actually an Irish dancer. So um, not heavily, heavily involved in the GA, but I think it was the school environment that shaped my passion and my love for, for sport. You know, as I was saying, it was actually my fifth class teacher. I started playing the Skeena Skull in, in fifth class. And she just said it to me one day. She said, Orla, I think you should just join a club. She, she could obviously see potential there and she could obviously see that, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So she really encouraged me to, to go and join the club. And as a result, then it just took off from there. And I mean, my parents, if anything, my parents really would have encouraged me over the years. Like they'd be the big backbone behind, um, behind my, my, my passion and my drive for, for football particularly. But I said the school environment really and my home environment would be very, very supportive in that sense. And Orla, when it comes to when, when people see your name and they see six All-Ireland medals and just explain to someone, if someone doesn't know what goes into that, what would an average week of training and like matches, what would, what would it look like your week? Yeah, so a typical football week, I suppose in training for an All-Ireland would look like um, we t- usually train three pitch sessions and we do a collective gym session and we'd probably do two, at least two of our own gym sessions as well. So usually you'd get kind of one day off, one, two days off, depending on the week. But um, it, I mean, it's tough. Th- things have changed, I feel, over the last few years. Like I remember when I was playing with Cork in, back in 2010, I came on the panel. And for those, we, we, we've won six All-Irelands in a row, but for those kind of four All-Irelands, say the first four All-Irelands in a row, like there was no gym, there was no strength and conditioning. It was just out in the pitch, literally tearing into each other, doing our strength work, like boxing each other on the pitch, um, that kind of a training. So it was really just kind of old-fashioned, you know, tough at it. You, you park whatever's on your mind at training and you just tear into each other and drive each other on. And I think that's kind of what made us as a team in the sense of, that grit to win in All-Ireland and that want and almost the sheer determination just to, to, to get the best out of yourself on the pitch. Um, and I think Eamon Ryan, who would have had trained us, would have really instilled that in us, I think, in, in the older girls, say the likes of Valerie Mulcahy and Juliette Murphy and Breach Corkery, Irina Buckley, all those girls, I think it was almost kind of contagious that you, know, you could see the drive in them at training. Um, and it was full focus at training and it was just like a knock-on effect that you wanted to be the best player on the pitch. So I think it has changed in the sense of the intensity of training. Obviously now, you know, teams are in the gym and they're, 
they're trying to get the best out of themselves and you know the competition is rising all the time but like at the end of the day I do think it comes it comes back to just the will and the want to win I mean you could be the fittest person you could be the leanest person but you know you, you can't you, you have to remember the skill side of it as well and like actually upstairs that from here up is probably the most important muscle that we should be training and not a lot and not so much you know the rest of your body it's it's certainly up, upstairs what's more important and um, but yeah no, I mean it has been tough you know like it's, it's not easy to win in All-Ireland um, and you know I'm very grateful to be part of of a successful winning six in a row All-Ireland yeah. team so and um, hard and or- work like it does hard work pays off in, in the end <clears throat> brilliant um, and Orla if we go back to 2010 when you get the call up to the panel like what was your headspace like then? Was it, I've made it or this is only the start, I need to put my, yeah. my impact on this? Well, actually, funnily enough, I remember being, it was 2009, I was up at the All-Ireland with my parents, up in Crow Park. Just supporting? Just supporting, yeah. So the year before I came on the panel, I, I was up in Crow Park and the, the Cork ladies actually won the five in a row. So I remember just being at the, sitting down with my parents and the final whistle went and I just remember all the team like buzzing on the pitch going around with the cup and I just I said to myself Jesus I'd love to be a part of that like I would have had played with Cork under 14 under 16 minor under 21 as well so I kind of knew that not in the standard but just the kind of feel for playing with Cork and the want was there but I, I'll always just remember sitting down and saying God I'd love to be part of that and little did I know then last year I got a call or the, sorry the, the following year in 2010 I received a phone call to go for trials and she says well deep down I was absolutely thrilled but at the same time it was scary because I was only in fifth year in school I was only a, a baby looking back and I suppose the likes of Angela Walsh, Breed Stack, Barry Mulcahy, Juliet Murphy all these girls were my role models and I looked up to these girls and you know, they seemed like way older and like, oh my God, they're proper adults and they're proper like professional ladies footballers. So, um, yeah, it was scary. I, I'll never forget my first training and I was partnered up with Valerie McGuire and I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, absolutely terrified. But I suppose you, you, I needed that, you know, I needed to grow in confidence and the girls were so supportive. Um, I, I was only in fifth year in school, so it was a, it was a big change. It was a big step up from minor. I was actually playing minor at the time as well with Cork. So it was a massive step up. But uh, I suppose I just needed to be thrown in there into the deep end. And, you know, sometimes you have to just be uncomfortable to, to grow in confidence and to actually, you know, get the best out of yourself at training. So um, it was a change. Yeah, it was, it was a massive change. And um, e- even at that, though, it, it, it was something I've always dreamed of. And I always strives to be a Cork Lady footballer growing up so um yeah no it, it, it's a moment I'll, I'll definitely um, remember it's uh, that phone call for trials <laughs> it's, it's brilliant to hear your uh the visual aspect of the piece being up supporting with your mum and dad and going I want a piece of this and then to yeah. see where how far your journey's come so Orla when we talk from 2010 to we're 2020 now mm-hmm. like has it dramatically changed like in the in obviously we see in the press that like the mention of GA male and female it's getting more professional have you seen that transition 
Yeah, massively. Like, I mean, I remember again playing in 2011 in an All-Ireland final up in Co Park. And I think there was about 16, 17,000 attending, just watching um, the game. And now, like, I remember even playing in 2016 and that figure almost tripled. So, I mean, that in itself is an indicator that things are are working like in, in a positive light for women in sport. Like obviously we're not there yet, um, but in saying that we there's massive progressions being made like with the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, you know, the 2020 campaign, Little, the sponsorship behind Little with, with the LGFA, like it's fantastic. And um, I mean, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day like and we can't expect to have everything, you know, like it's working process. And I think we're we're working I think we're doing it the right way. Um, obviously, it, it, like sometimes it frustrates me because I suppose when, when I came back on the panel in 2010 and to think that, you know, the lads would, would get a lot more than we would. And, um, you know, I know uh, one of my, my, my close friends is actually, um, uh, he's a county player and the things he gets, I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, and he has no All-Ireland. And I know it's not about winning in All-Ireland, but... Like even just things like petrol money, uh, food, like hot food after training, um, just little things. I mean, like it's the inequality is still present and it shouldn't be. Like things like my brother even, he, he played with Cork there a year or two ago under 17 and just even the perks that they were getting. And I was kind of like, how? You know, how isn't it equal across? across all like and Orla does that does, sorry for cutting across you does that come down to funding then and how where the funding's going and is is the is that being getting more even nowadays or what's happening yeah I mean like the the gap is narrowing but there's still a big gap there um, and I it does boil down to funding yeah it really does and look as I said it is getting better with the the WGPA now and with the government funding like every year it's getting better, but I suppose like even just from my own experience, it was two years ago, we only got fed hot food, you know, to think that, that we've, wow. we've won six All-Irelands without wow. even getting food after training. Uh, never in my life have I got any petrol money, anything like that, but I suppose, you know, they're, they're only bonuses, like, you know, you have to kind of think of, and I remember Eamon Ryan used to always instill that in us. He always used to say, like, you're here, on the pitch, you're here at training because you want to be here and you're playing football because you love it and you're playing it for the sheer joy and <clears throat> sheer love of football. Anything else is a bonus yeah. and anything else should be a bonus, like in terms of cars or petrol money or whatnot that all these county players would get. So like really it does kind of, you kind of have to ground yourself back and kind of say, well, why am I playing football? And yeah, look, I know it's still unfair in the sense that the inequality is still there, but at the end of the day, you're playing because you want to be playing. Like, it's not a professional sport, even though sometimes it might it might seem like professional sport, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> football is your hobby and you're playing because you love to play. So, like, when you kind of boil it down to that, it's not as bad, but still, in the sense of funding, I do think that it is getting better, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. And Orla, when yeah. you, we talk about sport and what it means to you, has it impacted you personally on probably what you've wanted to study or in your personal life? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, like, 
my love for sport growing up has certainly mirrored my my career now and my drive to to get the best out of myself not only on the field but off the field as well and um, so a lot of skills and a lot of kind of i suppose the, the passion can translate into the working environment as well and um, I, I suppose when I when I finished my leaving cert, I always knew I wanted to empower people through sport because I enjoyed sport and I liked helping people and I enjoyed coaching when I was young as well. So I decided then to go on to UCC to study P P teaching, and and then after that the opportunity with the PhD in sport education came too. So I'm I'm literally footballed out of it on the pitch and off the pitch. <laughs> but no, it certainly has, and I suppose it's. It just boils back down to the drive to, to empower people and I feel I can do that in both on the pitch and off the pitch. So um, you know, it's it's nice to be able to uh, I suppose mirror that in the sense that I can actually I can go in and I can coach a team or I can do a talk. Um it doesn't have to necessarily mean that I'm I'm playing myself, that I can actually translate those skills in different contexts, but also kind of relay the same message about sport like so yeah no I mean it's something obviously I'm passionate about you can probably hear coming out of my voice absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do I have a fire in my belly for for sport and just for for sharing and empowering you know knowledge and trying to just get the best out of, of myself but also I always say when I when I'm helping others I kind of help myself and I learn a lot about myself. And when I learn, when I'm helping myself, I'm also like helping others. If you get me, that you got, it's kind of a two-way thing that it's it's constantly learning about myself, but also how I can get the message out there to others in different ways as well. And how is that message being taken? Like when you're doing lectures and you're in front of people, is it all positive or is it all open-minded or how's that been going? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, to be fair, sometimes you just have to put yourself out there and just you know, take the risk and kind of just get out of your comfort zone. And I, I did a talk there at the GA conference at the start of the year in January up in Co Park. And I spoke in front of about five, 600 people. It was my first time ever kind of speaking in front of a big crowd at that. So I was quite nervous. And the funny thing about it is I, I, I genuinely thought there was only going to be about 80 people. And when I turned up, I was like, holy God, <laughs> I'm kind of glad I, I didn't know that there was going to be this amount of people here. But just the buzz I got from it and the feedback I, I received, it was just an indication. And it was more, it was verification for me that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and this is, and I feel I can do that through my voice, through speaking, through demonstrating and <clears throat> almost practicing what I preach in that sense. So, you know, even just getting that positive feedback gives me more confidence to say, right, I, like, why am not I going out and doing more talks and, and helping people? And I think, I think the big thing that I'm getting from going out speaking is that people are kind of saying to me, fair play for taking the risk and just trying new things and getting out of your comfort zone. Because I feel sometimes with, particularly in the sporting, in the GA context, for coaches, say, specifically, that it's almost that kind of lack of confidence or belief in themselves to be like, hold on, like, I might try something different. You know, it's kind of that old school mentality sometimes in the GA that, Eric, look, I'll just do the, the backs and forwards drill now or I'll just do the, the usual drill that I always do. But it's almost like that, that kind of lack of confidence to get out of your comfort zone and to be like, I might try this and see how I get on. So I think, it's, I think that was coming back a lot to me in terms of feedback that, like, fair play to you for taking the risk and for just trying out new things and 
being as creative as possible all of the time and you know just kind of challenging yourself like and if it doesn't work it doesn't work at least you tried yeah and orla where are we at today in 2020 uh where are we at with uh women in sport and girls getting involved in sport is it growing or is it still something we're struggling to get numbers into yeah, I mean, like it is, in one way it is growing. Um, I suppose social media and, you know, campaigns like the 2020 campaign certainly help that in that regard. Um, like, as I was saying, we do still have a long way to go, but in terms of participation for girls, um, you know, even from my own research, I have found that big motivators there are fun and friendship. Um, competition and winning actually comes way down along the list. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, I think it's it's very different for girls and boys. Boys can be more competitive in nature, whereas girls are more about just the social aspect and you know just having a bit of crack and getting out and keeping fit. Um, so I think if we can kind of like relay that message, you know, more to coaches and to the GA and to the ladies' game of football, to all sporting organisations, really that like you know nine times out of ten girls are they want to come because they they enjoy it and they want to be with their friends like obviously you're going to have that small percentage that want to be elite athletes and want to push themselves but like even say 75 percent of of girls want to just get get keep fit and be with their friends and have a bit of fun so you know i think i, I think that but also i think girls and women need to support more girls and women if you get me in that sense, like I think even from my own matches over the years, more men actually attend our games than women, um, which is kind of sad to a certain extent because women should be more on board and supporting women, going to games, you know, tweeting about more women, uh, being more kind of active on social media about women in sport. So I think if we can kind of relay that message out to coaches and to people um, just to, to push that for women in sport, but we, we're still actually seeing a massive dropout rate for girls. Um, I think it's by the age of 13, one and two, um, girls it's are dropping those teenage out, so. years, is it? It's that, yeah, those teenage it's, it's years. The transition. Where... Yeah, it's the transition from primary school into secondary school, we're seeing a high dropout rate, particularly for girls, boys too, but particularly for girls, it's, it's a higher rate of decline. So, you know, you kind of have to go back and say, well, why are they dropping out? You know, what's, what's, what are the barriers there? What's stopping them from being involved? And that's part of what my research was investigating as well. And interestingly enough, the lack of enjoyment was the biggest, biggest uh, barrier. And, competitiveness you know the coach has been too strict it's just being <clears throat> the fun is kind of out of the training sessions um coach has been too strict mean not enjoying it and um, things like that were coming into play so like you the research is there but you know what what can you now do in terms of what okay girls are saying that they, they like playing because they're having fun and they're with their friends yet they're stopping sport because they're not enjoying it. It's too competitive. The fun has gone from it. So you kind of have to like mirror those two and kind of say, right, well, what can you do to try and get girls more active? But I mean, as I said, like it's it's not as if something like that can be done overnight. It's it's more of like translating the message and empowering others to, you know, to ask their girls why are they involved. You know, it kind of has to come at a grassroots level, um, that everyone kind of needs to take responsibility, parents as well, coaches, teachers. Um, 
anybody, you know, aunties, sisters, daughters, everyone just needs to kind of push that concept. And I think the 2020 campaign is certainly going in the right direction for that as well. And Orla, I, I could be wrong here. I could have the total wrong perspective. When it comes to GAA or other sports, is there many female coaches or people or parents getting involved? Mm, I don't know. I, I think there, again, it is getting better in that sense, but um, there are definitely fewer uh, female coaches than, than males. Um, but again, like I know obviously as part of the 2020 campaign, I know Sport Ireland as well always push workshops and you know coaching accreditations for for females but um I, I think like it has to come back to your intrinsic motivation so like if you can provide sometimes you have to go back take a step back to go forward so like what I always say is that you know praise the young and they'll you know they'll blossom like they'll you have to start with youth and if you can instill, you know, a love for football or for rugby or for whatever sport they're playing, and if you can instill that intrinsic motivation in them, then nine tens out of ten, they'll want they'll want to come to training or they'll want to do that coaching course or they'll you know they they'll want to help other women or help other or other children or youth or whatever coaching environment they're going into. So I think sometimes it's just instilling that motivation in them and like allowing them to kind of you know, decide for themselves um, if they want to go down that route. But I do, I do think it is getting better as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously we want more females to empower, you know, children and we want more, more of a female presence in the coaching side of things too. Um, because role models are a massive thing. You know, that, that's come, come up in my research a lot too is like the impact that a role model can have, particularly a female role model, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a county player like you can be a club player a mother you know an auntie a sister anybody that just just even having that positive reinforcement and that positive role model to look up to that that can make an awful difference like I I'll always remember Angela Walsh and Geraldine O'Flynn who played with Cork over the years and I remember being at a cool camp when I was 12 and they were coaching me and like I I'm 27 now and I still remember to that day how I felt in, in the sense of you know how they were like oh well done Orla and you know great great soloing and just little remarks like that that it can actually go a long way and like you'd often you know it's funny because it's often the things that are said to you in the past or when you were young growing up they're the things that you hold and they're the things that you that you think about now as opposed to what somebody said last week it's that good remark or a bad remark that somebody said to you when you were five or six that's something that you hold on to so I think having that positive female presence in the sense of a coach or um you know just a, a word of encouragement uh praise positive reinforcement i think that can go a long way as well absolutely um and orla i think more than ever i think when you are in times like this when people are staying at home and sport has been cancelled or postponed for the moment i think we can see how important it is and needed in society and it's an outlet for a lot of kids and just even myself just have a bit of a distraction to something to follow and we miss it terribly. When it comes to Orla, I'm sure you've played against a lot of uh, people that are off in the AFL now in Australia and looking at mm -hmm. opportunities like that. Is that something that you'd look at or something that has turned your head or what do you think of that at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for, um, for GA players. I mean, 
like it's it kind of works it works perfectly in the sense of the season and the timing of it because players can actually have the best of both worlds and go out and play their league and then come back for the championship here. Um, I know it's grown considerably over the last year or two in the sense that I know a lot of county players have got offers to go over. Um, I think it's fantastic. Like I mean, I know people would be for and against it, but I think it's a great opportunity to even just expand your experience of of football and you know what you learn over there you're going to bring back to Ireland and you know in that sense that will help the game and that will progress the game and vice versa when you're when when girls are going over to Australia and places like that that you know you bring something different um, and you challenge yourself and it's, it's always good to try a, a new sport or to try you know just stimulate your brain and again putting yourself into a different environment and being uncomfortable for a bit and I think that's a massive thing for growth in your own performance, but also just in general, personally. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity. And it definitely raises the standard, I think, of um, of sport, of ladies football here. Um, because, you know, it's the skills and things that the skill set and things like that. Like, I, I'm not sure would I, would, I, would I be right now, just in terms of my own career, like if, if I ever did get offered or, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'm at a stage now where... Like I just want to focus on my career and I just kind of want to put my attention on that. I mean, I've, I'm enjoying football and, you know, like I, I was probably, I, I'm thinking about going traveling next year. So I think I just need a bit of a break as well mentally, just from, from everything because I've given so much over the last 10 years too. But I mean, never say never. And I'm, I'm only a young one, as they say, yeah, I'm yeah. only 27. So only you know, a pop. This, <laughs> yeah, sure look. Um, but yeah, no, I do. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. And again, that is another credit to show that, you know, women in sport, like it is getting better. And, you know, even the skill set, like uh, people often say to me, men would often say to me, she's like, I actually would prefer watching a ladies football game than a men's football game. You know, a lot of men actually say that to me. They say, it's just, I don't know, you, you just go at it. Like, and there's no playing around with the ball. You just go for it. So I do think that, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know what, trying new things like AFL and, and things like that, it's, it's always a positive. And if anything, it's going to really enhance interest in football in Ireland and also the skill set as well. Uh, Orla, I saw recently you had to do a quick flight to get <laughs> uh, from Canada to an All-Ireland final. Will you explain that to me and how that works? <laughs> so actually this time last year, it was uh, May last year, and we were in an All-Ireland League final with Cork ladies. Um, and at the same time, I actually had to go to Canada. So I had to go to Montreal and Winnipeg. So I had to go to two places in Canada to present my PhD research at a conference. And so I went over the week before the, the All-Ireland. Now, initially, I wasn't actually going to fly back um, because, you know, you kind of have to make a decision sometimes. Like, obviously, football isn't paying the bills, like, and I need to, put, I, I need to go in terms of, of progressing my career and... It was a great opportunity to go to Canada and get my research out there. So then I suppose I was speaking to my manager about it and, you know, that, like they, they wanted me to play the game and I was kind of here and there. It was like a tennis match going on in my head. Will I go? Will I go to the conference? Will I do both? So then I decided at the end, look, do you know what? It's like, it's not every day you're in an All-Ireland final. And, you know, I know it was a National League final, but still, like, you have to make sometimes you just have to make the most of opportunities like that and you've such a short career span 
that you just have to embrace the opportunities like an All-Ireland final. So I was in Canada and luckily enough, the conference was about three days before the league final. So it was a three-day conference. So I think the game was on the Sunday. I flew home from Montreal back to Cork on the Friday. So I got back on Saturday morning. My dad checked me from the airport, went straight to bed, (laughs) got up the next morning on Sunday and back up to Dublin on the bus with the girls. Played the game, won the game, <laughs> came back, went, went out in Cork, celebrated, <laughs> got the taxi home at, at about two in the morning, got another taxi at five in the morning up to Cork Airport, and off I went then, flew from Cork to Winnipeg. <laughs> wow, that's, that's getting it done, that's fitting a lot in. Yeah, Erin, you know what, though, look, it's things like that, you just have to, like, they're once off, it's not as if you're going to be doing that a few times a year, like, to be flying from Canada to Cork, but, and um, again, it's, it's all about opportunity and it's all about just acting on opportunity and you know I could do both essentially so why wouldn't I come home you know I know it's probably crazy and people are like why would you come fly all the way home and fly all the way back again but you know things like that just bring the excitement to sport and the things you do for sport like and just the, the commitment and the want the want to actually come home like I could have easily just stayed in Canada and you know, lived the dream for the weekend and strolling around Montreal. But I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be in Parnell Park on that Sunday. I wanted to be playing that All Ireland final. And you know, something I suppose those are memories that I'll always hold. And it's something I can laugh about now. And it's something that I can look back on and say, well, yeah, I actually could do both. And I'm glad I, I made that decision. Amazing memories, as you say. Um, Orla, what's so PhD just around the corner? What's mm-hmm. I suppose what's next for you? Yeah, so... Um, I know it's a big question. I know it's a heavy question. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, like, I, my PhD now is my priority. just want to get that in. I'll have to defend it then in my viva. And fingers crossed, we'll get my doctorate. Um, so I'll be, I'll be a teacher, a doctor, and a farmer. So I will, hopefully, by the end of 2020. <laughs> um, yeah, just in terms of, like, my career, I suppose, um, I'm, I am, as I was saying, I am hoping to do a bit of travel, but... Um, I am going to travel with a purpose. So, you know, this is the research you're coming out of me now. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking, I'm kind of working on a creative project at the moment. Um, it's a movement mission, um, something that I've kind of developed from my research. It's a, it's a program, it's a movement kind of dance program for girls. And it's, it's kind of combining music and skills of sport into dance sequences for girls. And um, because it's something that really worked in my, in my research and it's all, all about movement and building confidence and building self-esteem which is really really needed for girls so what I'm hoping to do is I'm going to trial out my program in different cultures while I tra- travel around um, and I want to document it wow. as well so it's kind of like a creative action research kind of project thing that I'm doing like you think that the research would stop after the the 80,000 words of, of research but I just want I just feel that you know there's no point in my 80,000 word thesis been sitting in a library or just sitting there. Like I want to put that theory into practice. And I feel that that because I have such an understanding now of what girls want and what girls need, and there's a demand there, I, I want to kind of fill that gap and I want to experiment and trial out my, my movement mission, I'm calling it, um, in different cultures, because it'd be interesting just to see how the same kind of message and the, the same goal can be translated into different cultures at an international level, not just in the GA or not just in the LGFA, that 
Um, I just feel that I, I want to improve movement and I want to empower others while I'm moving around the world. That's why I'm calling it a movement mission. Um, and I'm going to document it along the way because I feel that just the world needs something like for girls particularly. Um, and I, why not, when I have all my knowledge and expertise from my PhD, why not try and make an impact and why not try and improve movement for girls while I'm traveling around. So that's my next step. Um, obviously, I'm a lecturer as well, so I do like the teaching aspect and I will continue lecturing, whether it be part time or full time. Um, right now, I don't think I, I want to go into full time lecturing because I feel I have more to offer in the sense of what I've learned in my research. And I want to do maybe a year or two of trialing, trial and error and just seeing what I want to do. I do want to go down the business route with my program as well. So um, I'm using kind of this year and next year to trial it out and to get that kind of action research per se. Um, I'd love to kind of go down, hit, hit, hit schools, target schools and target uh, sporting organisations as well and coaches. Kind of coach education is a big plan in my in my business as well so uh, I'm, I'm only all early stages but you know what I'm excited and I have a fire in my belly for it and I know it's my calling like I know that this is what I should be doing um, I mean I could easily just be lecturing now full-time you know get a, a handy number but that's just not what I want to do I, I feel I need to explore and I need to experiment um, in, in terms of empowering others and then the teaching and lecturing maybe when I in a few years time when I want to settle down and um, have kids maybe maybe that's something I could go back at then is is the lecturing so for now I think that's what my plan is but my mind my, my plans could change like the weather like so I don't really know but sure look isn't that the exciting thing because nine times out of ten a plan probably doesn't go accordingly anyway and sure if if my whole life is planned out it would be boring so you need to you know it's the, the spontaneity and like kind of the inspired moments like they won't come if you're too planned um, and it's always when you least expect it I think that's when the best plan comes so I'm just kind of open to you know trying things out and just seeing how things go and just go with the flow <laughs> absolutely well listen it's it, the I can hear and I'm sure the listeners will hear the fire in your belly and the enthusiasm that spills out and your passion to do better is amazing and I just wrote down you've said it a couple of times now on this is you've said, why not? And I think it's just a simple, like two words. <laughs> it's just like, what's the worst? Why not just give it a shot? Whatever it is you're going for. Just on that Orla, when you've so much going on and different aspects in your life, do you find it hard or are you good at managing everything at all at once? Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've struggled with. I mean, like you think that I, I, I wouldn't because I suppose people would always just see the results and the end product of things. But um, like, you know, I, I probably over the years would have had too many eggs in the one basket, as they say. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I have no problem in admitting that I, I have struggled in terms of juggling. Um, I probably have learned to say no the last year, which is something that like I, I would have just had said yes to everything. And as a result, then like I, I'm a giver. I, I love giving and I love helping others, but there's a line and I definitely went over the line in the sense of I was giving too much and it definitely affected my my personal kind of growth. And just even my, I was tired. I was drained from everything. Like at one stage, I remember um, I was juggling so many things like I, I was doing my PhD, I was in the middle of conducting my own intervention. 
I was a research assistant on this big study in Ireland, managing about 25 different schools, conducting research. I was running my own camps at the same time. I was um, trying to have a social life and trying to be, you know, out and about with my friends and then trying to play football as well on the site. Do you know, like it, it was just whoa. And it can over consume you and it can get to stage. And like there, there's been moments where I've crashed and there's been moments where I've hit rock bottom. Um, because again, just that not saying no and just taking too much on um, was definitely something that I struggled with. Now I have got better. I'm still not there, um, but I have got better at saying no. And I think, I think I've learned from it though. I think that, you know, sometimes you need to kind of hit rock bottom to, to get back on track and to bounce back. Um, you know, like a PhD particularly is, it's not an easy ride. Like it's not an easy journey. And there, there ha there's been moments where, you know, I wanted to give up. Like God, I mean, I, I've had my low points as well throughout the last years and it, it's, you know, you just want to stop. You just want to why, why am I doing this? And why is everything coming on top of me? But I think in moments like that and kind of your darkest moments, you find like, you really kind of, find out who you are and it tests, it tests yourself. Like you, you test yourself and you kind of question, but what, why am I doing this? And I think that why, why not? What you were, you were mentioning, I think the why is always important. And, you know, on all those bad days and all those setbacks, it always brings me back to why, why am I doing this? And the passion and, and the determination would strive because of, of the why. You know, why am I doing this? But I do think that, you know, we do need to experience those lows and like just it has taught me to say no. And in terms of juggling everything that, that's going on and I have got better at it. Um, and I think that's important that it, it actually is OK to say no. Um, in, in the sense, like, I mean, you, you could obviously relate to that, too, in terms of, you know, just so much going on with your clients and with events. Like you probably get asked to do so many events and like you can't please everyone really at the end of the day you and you have to kind of see it you have to be selfish to a certain extent and kind of say well what's actually in it for me in the sense that what am I getting out of it because if you're doing something if you're doing an event or if you're doing a talk or if you're doing a coaching session for somebody and you're not fully present and you're not fully there then it's kind of not fair on them too because you're not giving your best self so sometimes it's just better to say no yeah. and just say look I'm actually very busy right now and maybe it's something I could do in the future or maybe in a few months time and I've, I think that's important because you're giving too much of yourself to too many people the message can actually be ineffective in the sense that your mind isn't fully present with that person or with that session or with that event or with that talk that you kind of less is more sometimes yeah 100% I, yeah. I definitely agree yeah. It's something I've had to learn over the years is like the power in saying no and learning to mm -hmm. say no. I actually learned it from a great book, um, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. But, um, oh, yeah, I'm reading that at the moment. Are you? No <laughs> way. No way. But um, it's just, it's, it's difficult at the start to say no because you, you want to please everyone um, when you're a go-getter and out there and doing things. Um, Orla, just we're finishing off last couple of bits here now. It's, it's, it's been amazing chatting to you. I'm actually pumped up after listening to this and I'm dying to get this out and to hear the fire in your belly. But um, what's the, along the way, you've given a couple of nuggets there, but what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever gotten from someone? Um, to be honest, like I, the best piece of advice I have got actually from my aunt who is a nun um, and she has been there for me throughout my whole PhD journey. And um, 
usually people will be like, oh, this famous person or that famous person has said this or I read this in a book. But I remember just speaking with her one day on the phone and I was I was really stressed and I, I just was very overwhelmed with everything that was going on that week and I had loads of things to do. And she just said one thing to me, she just said, take it one day at a time. Just to take it every day, just one day at a time. And it just really resonated with me because I suppose I have an awful habit of, you know, thinking of what happened yesterday or what's happening next week. And my mind then would be, wouldn't be focused on what I'm trying to do. So I think that just really, really stuck to me that just take it one day at a time, like focus on what you have to do today, right? Forget about yesterday. Yesterday happened. Forget about tomorrow. If you can give, like living in the now really would be the, the main message that if you can just put your energy into what you're doing, no matter how big or small it is, even if it's just making your breakfast, you know, even if it's just, you know, on the phone to your friend or talking to a parent or talking to whoever, that you're putting your full attention on that and that you're not worrying about tomorrow or you're not worrying about what happened a week ago, that you're you're just living in the now and taking it every day as it comes. I think that was definitely the, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. And I, I use that. I use that now. And I, I, I try and kind of bring myself back to living in the moment because you know you know yourself with social media and with you know emails and messages pinging in with all the notifications that it's it, you can be easily distracted you know you you can you we all we're all uh, familiar with like flicking through our phones and our newsfeed and then a half an hour is gone and you're saying jesus it's like wasted time almost so it's kind of using your time wisely every day and you know, li- living in the now and getting the best out of yourself every day brilliant Definitely. and Orla, what we normally just probably finish off here is what um, any book recommendations or podcasts or anything you're listening to that you'd recommend to any of the listeners? Um, yeah, like I do. I, I like um, Tim Ferriss. Um, he's very good. In, I, I enjoy his books and just his, the messages. I like the fact that he just kind of gets insights from, from different people, business, sport. Um, it's always good to to learn from others. I think in that sense, I would be a big fan of Tim Ferriss. Um, in terms of books, I'm actually really enjoying the the monk that sold his Ferrari. Um, I'd be very big into kind of um self help books. Um, I, I'm not sure you're familiar with The Secret, but The Secret really changed my perspective on life. Um, I actually read it when I was 17. I read it when I was in fifth year in school, and I'm not joking. It changed my whole perspective on on everything like career-wise, sport-wise, just mentality. Um, funnily enough, I actually put, I think it's Rhonda Byrne as the author. Most people would be familiar with it, but I think you have to have an open mind. Um, I remember reading it when I was 17 and I, I opened the first few pages and I was like, no, nah. I was like, this is a load of S-H-I-T. Yeah. And then I put it back down and something drew me back to the book. And when I, when I came back to the book, I started reading it and I was glued to it. And all of the messages from the book, The Secret, I use, and they're like my principles, and I've, I've been using them the last 10 years. Um, and I think everybody should read that book. I think it, it's like my Bible. I have it like in my drawer at home. I, it's like, I, I always refer back to it. Like some, some days randomly, I just open the book and I'd be I, I, randomly and I'm like, right, I need some inspiration. And it, it just, it boils everything down, like in terms of from here up, our mentality upstairs, I think. I think everybody should read that book. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping yeah. the mind sharp. Um, very good read. Yeah. And Orla, uh, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I suppose, where can people stay connected with yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter um, and Facebook as well. Um, I share a lot of my research on Twitter particularly and um, some of the videos and things like that that I've been running, the five-day challenges. I'm going to continue that for the next few weeks because I think it's important. So the videos will be up usually on the Ladies Gilly Football page, but also on my Twitter pages and um, my Instagram and my Facebook as well. Um, I'm in the process now of kind of like making a website and things like that, just to kind of have a bank of resources for people to help people, but I need to get the PhD in first. <laughs> <laughs> and once that's over the line, um, I'll, I'm going to expand more, but on social media, yeah, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Brilliant. Well, listen, Orla, it's been an absolute pleasure and yeah, just uh, blown away by your story and hearing the, the fire in your belly, as you say. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Tom. Listen, Making it happen as always. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Orla. Oh, thanks.